Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Money Awakenings. I am your host, Larry Morrison, the financial shaman, the one bringing you all kinds of cheer. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, typically, I'm bringing you questions, questions to ask yourself, limiting beliefs to unravel. And since it's Christmas time, I think this will actually air right after Christmas if I have done my math right. I decided we would talk a little bit about Christmas. The spirit of Christmas, money stuff that comes up around Christmas. You know, last year, um, my writing and my podcasts were about the play on words of presence versus presence. Presence in regards to gifts, Christmas presents versus being here now. And what children really want, they don't, I mean, they care about the toys, but really what they want is your attention. They want you to have, to play with them, to give you their, your full undivided attention. And on Christmas Day, most people can do that. Since it's a big holiday, there's typically no work. Parents can devote their time to their loved ones, their children, completely being in the now 100%. And I argue that that's actually what your children want, is they want your presence, not toys or things. And if you do give them toys, to play with them. It's not just about giving a child a toy, it's about playing with them and having a good time which I still hold true to, I still agree with. I look at it differently a year later, of course. For instance, I still do 100% agree that that's what the child actually wants, is your attention. And that's what your family wants, is your undivided attention, your presence, your being there, showing up. And yes, COVID and travel and stuff like that, but what they really want is for you to be with them on the holiday, right? However, from this new understanding, why they want it is codependency. Children have never been taught self-love. They don't know after the age of seven, under the age of seven, they are still tapped in, turned on, connected to source. Their consciousness is off the the charts because they're still connected. They haven't been brainwashed with conditional love yet. But after that point, all the conditioning starts to set in. And what tends to happen is they look for the parents' approval, the parents' conditional love to feel loved, right? Mom, look at me. Dad, look at me. I'm over here, right? They're trying to jump through all the hoops that conditional love inherently sets up for them to jump through in order to get the love. So while they want your attention, which is still true, why they want your presence, now I look at it as if they had self-love, they wouldn't need it. They might still want it, but they wouldn't need it as bad. To where if they didn't get it, they would feel cheated or betrayed or abandoned. The need for conditional love or the need for approval and attention from parents or family is what drives people insane. It's one of the paradoxes we talked about. Right? You, the paradox is you need people. Like, we need each other. To, I mean, no person is autonomous. No person is truly 100% independent. Even people that live off the land, they have machines and tools and <laughs> that had to be made by other people, right? So, um, you, the paradox is you need people, but the need for people will drive you insane. So it's a back and forth, a balance of 
yes, I love myself in order to connect with other hearts, but I don't need to connect with other hearts, but I want to when it's time to. And that's a paradox only you could unravel and understand in your own life. Point is, from this new understanding, yes, presence is the greatest gift you can give. And that could be over Zoom or telephone call. That's not important that you be face-to-face, even though that'd be great. But the presence of letting go of everything that's going on in your life and giving your undivided attention to someone to connect on that heart-to-heart level, that's the greatest gift you can really give. The heart-to-heart connection with someone else. So, now we're going to take it a step further this Christmas and talk about what happens when we don't get that present. I've talked about this before, but I feel like it needs to be touched on and expanded upon. Or rather, my heart does feel that way. You know, I was watching Christmas movies, um, and there's this interesting thing that I picked up on, among many, which is, when, what, what about, what age is it that the child stops believing in Santa Claus? It's different for everybody, of course. You know, some get told, you know, by their friends at school or whatever, Um, but for me, and not that I didn't have friends at school, even though I changed schools so much that really didn't start to grow friendships until third or fourth grade, um, long lasting, I guess, friendships. Um, it wasn't really, anyway, it doesn't matter. My point is I didn't really have that. So I went through it the other way where you kind of just realize it that Santa isn't real and of course I had my my mom who was um, honest with me you know she didn't say there wasn't a Santa Claus but when I asked she was like yeah that's it's a made-up thing and so um, here's how I slightly remember, and and I'm sure most people go through the same thing, is when you didn't get what you asked Santa for. When you don't get what you asked Santa for, you start to go, wait a minute. Is Santa real or not? And that's how it happened for me. I don't remember the toy I asked for that I didn't get. Probably some G.I. Joe thing, knowing me way back then. Um, but I didn't get the toy I wanted, even though I got presents from Santa. Why is that important? Because as we've talked about before, what happens when we don't get what we want? We create a story. Or in this case, we see through one. When we ask for something of the universe and it doesn't come when we want it to come in the specific way we want it, we tell ourselves a story that we're not good enough. And this is all intertwined with Santa Claus, with Christmas. Let's watch watch this. A child... Ask Santa for something. Let's say in my case, it, or, or something for today, I just got my nieces and nephew, or my niece rather, I'm sure my nephew will play with it, but I got my niece the uh, big Harry Potter Lego set castle thing, Hogwarts castle. <laughs> and um, point is, let's say I asked for that as a child. Ask Santa for that rather, not my parents. Let's say I asked Santa for that as a child, but I didn't get it. Or I got the small Harry Potter Lego, like the couple $15, $20 ones, not the big one. 
you'd feel what? Immediately the child would feel let down. They'd feel grateful for what they got, and they'd feel bad for feeling let down. See, this is a whole spiral of emotion, a downward spiral of emotion, because like, you're like, oh, these, this is so awesome. And I remember this feeling vividly, especially as I'm saying it. There's like, I'm so grateful for all I got, but that one thing I didn't get bums me out. And I can't say anything because that'll make the people who did give me gifts feel bad. You can recognize this when, if you guys remember the Christmas story, when Ralphie, the main character, is super let down before his dad tells him the last gift, which is the one he wanted, the BB gun is behind the whatever, piano or organ or whatever it was. And so you can see on his face, like, he got all this stuff, but he's bummed because the one thing he wanted didn't come. And I remember that feeling. You can't say anything to the adults. You can't say, thanks for spending hundreds of dollars on me or whatever. Thanks for doing all this. Thanks for giving me a good Christmas. But it sucks because I didn't get what I wanted because you feel selfish. You feel guilty. When in reality, and I remember this thinking this too, in reality, I was like, you could have bought me one thing, like one thing, and I would have been over the moon. And all this other shit is pointless. I'm grateful for it, but I, I didn't want any of this other stuff, stocking stuffers and games and freaking Rubik's Cubes and gel not jello what's the what's the one you play with not eat play-doh you know all this stuff i didn't want any of this i didn't ask for any of this i asked for this one thing and i remember that i remember feeling and thinking even as a child like you could have just like all this probably cost the same as the one present so you guys went instead of the one thing i wanted you went for a bunch of different stuff i could open i would have rather had the one thing But you can't say that because it's, it's bad to look the gift horse in the mouth. That's the, the expression. You're not supposed to talk shit on your gifts. And that's true. You're not. And that, that's going to come into, into play later. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Looking a gift horse in the mouth. But you feel let down either way. And then your mind starts to unravel the idea that Santa Claus is real. As the child, I'm still in the child. I know I went off on a rant there. But I'm, as the child, you start to go, well, did Santa Claus not get my letter? Did I not know what I wanted? I, I wrote it. I even had mom help write it. I know I got it sent off. What happened? Where was the communication breakdown? And since you got toys and no coal, you don't assume that you did anything wrong this year. You don't assume that you were a bad kid because you got stuff, but then it still nags at you. Did I do something messed up? Did I, did I not hit like all A's, not all A pluses? Did I not be, was I not the best I could be? Or was there a communication breakdown? Or is Santa Claus not real? And if he's not real, who's buying all this stuff? Oh, shit. Who's buying all this stuff and putting Santa's name on it? Right? All because you didn't get what you wanted. Everything starts to fall apart. The fantasy starts to fall apart. But you also have to remember the time frame. The time frame is Christmas. You ever got a Christmas present after Christmas? You might as well fucking throw it in the trash. <sighs> like, you know, you ever have that, like, relative or your friends where you can't hang out on Christmas Day, but you see them, like, a week later, and they give you a Christmas present, and it's like, what the hell is this? I got all this stuff. Like, throw this away. Like, why did you do this? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like... If I didn't get to open this on Christmas Day, it's pointless. Even though it would have been buried in all the other stuff. Right? Especially as a child. It's like, what? what? 
I used to have two Christmases, you know, because my parents split up when I was very young, when I was one. Though, it didn't really matter because my dad's Christmas was a joke. He'd always buy the things he wanted and wrap them up and put them with my name on them. So I'd open up stuff that <laughs> were for him. For, supposedly for me, that I never really played with. Because they weren't toys. If they were toys, they were like adult, adult toys, like models and stuff that I couldn't... <laughs> he always bought stuff out of my range because he was completely... He had no empathy, had no wherewithal. He was a sociopath. So it didn't really, didn't really matter. But my point is, you have two Christmases and you go into the second one, even if it's a day or two after Christmas, and it's like, oh, right, okay, we're going to do this. But it's never the same. It's never the same. And the timing is important. So it's not only getting what you want. It's the timing, the timing is extremely important. Because if, like, if, let's, let's put it like this. This G.I. Joe thing or the Harry Potter thing or whatever, the big thing you want as a child, if it's not there on Christmas Day, on Christmas morning, you feel super let down. So somebody could give it to you two days later, like they made a mistake, they see how let you down you are. As soon as the store's open the next day, they go return or change or exchange or go buy the new thing. It won't matter because the timing is fucked up. You'll be like, oh, cool. Thanks. I do want this. This is going to be fun. But you're already let down because you didn't get it on the specific time. So it's exactly what you want as you want it. And the timing has to be perfect. Are you seeing the theme here? This is the definition of attachment. The definition of expectation. Santa is exposed because expectations are broken. That's the main reason. Of course, there's the, the older brother and older sister and older siblings or cousins that drop the ball or someone accidentally says something or says it in a sarcastic way like, oh, did Santa get you that? And you start to catch on. And then, of course, you know, like I said, at school, they may let it slip, your peers or whatever. But most of the time, Santa is exposed because of broken expectations. Isn't that fascinating? We literally set this thing up to fail. Now, yeah, of course... A parent could take the letter that they write from Santa, the child writes from Santa, goes, gets the exact same thing, and keep this thing alive for many years. But most fall, it falls apart at some point because of broken expectations. Broken expectations unravel Santa. So let's take it up a notch. What happens to an adult? Well, obviously, the fantasy that is Santa, which is a conditionally loving God. It's so funny, we can recognize that Santa is fake at a very young age, but a conditionally loving God, nobody can recognize? Nobody sees through that illusion? Funny, isn't it? It's the same exact thing. The Christian and Catholic God, let's just say the Catholic one, and I'm not picking on Catholics, it's just the most obvious. Is the fire and brimstone. The, da Vin uh, uh, the Sistine Chapel, the white bearded man in the sky. Where you're judged for every single thing you do say and think. And when you get to the pearly gates, they got to tabulate it all up. And see if you made enough points to get in. I, I, I'm reminded of the good place. The point system. It's so hysterical. It's Santa Claus. It's a different version of Santa Claus. Are you going to get coal in your stocking? Which means you're going to burn in hell for all eternity? Or are you going to get the gift you wanted, which is to go to heaven? Never-ending paradise. Don't you find it so fascinating how, how much we ratchet up the stakes from Santa Claus from, oh, coal, to getting what we want on Christmas, to... Never-ending torture for all eternity versus a never-ending paradise. Talk about going all in and adding, you know, adding it all up. 
really go ratchet up a notch, put it, making it very risky, extremely risky. So funny. So the conditional loving God is who the, the, the Santa Claus of the adults, the white bearded man in the sky. We just trade one white bearded man for another white bearded man. <laughs> but nobody can see through it. Anyway, so the adults graduate from Santa Claus to God, the conditional loving God, the false God. <laughs> that for some reason, if you do one thing wrong, you're going to burn in hell. Well, hold, hold that thought for a second. So, you create a thing and an environment and say to this thing, you have free will, but you just can't do any of this things, these things. That's not free will. At best, it's free will with boundaries. Okay, that's fine. Boundaries, I get. But the stakes for crossing the boundary. 80 years of life for an eternity? Eternity of damnation? That is ridiculous. That is outright, it's, it's so blatant. It doesn't make any sense. The cost of far out, like, okay, if you were to live all through all of the pain that you ever caused and experience it from the victim that, of your own hand, that, like if you were, you know, an abuser, sexual abuser, rapist or something, or um, fucking murderer or something, like arsonist, like if you experienced all the pain that you ever caused some uh, people, that still would only be a couple hundred years at most. If you literally like experienced it time, real time for real time. You know, and if it was a lot of people, let's say, that you hurt throughout a lifetime. Like if you swapped real time for real time, experiencing all of the pain that you inflicted, that would still only be maybe 100 to 200 years max, unless you're a Hitler-esque type person. A Mao Zedong or, you know, Stalin. How does that make any sense that it's not one for one at best? That it's, no, no, no. You are going to experience all of the pain that you've ever inflicted forever. How does that make sense? To anyone else. I never could understand hell. Because when you love something, like a child, like we're all supposed to be the children of God, you don't punish someone forever because punishment is intended to correct behavior, right? You spank a child or put them in the corner or whatever, time out. It's intended to correct the behavior. But because there's no behavior to correct, there's no furthering of life or furthering of evolution, you just stop and experience pain forever? Wouldn't it be just easier to blink them out of existence? To have existence just end? Right? You made a mess of this thing. The existence, you're, you're going to be just done with existence. Why torture them forever? That doesn't make any sense. Not to mention the fact that you gave them all of the instincts, all of the nudging, the ego that would attempt someone to hurt someone else. You put all of that in them and the environment to, to trigger them into hurting others. You gave them the ego that brainwashes people into thinking, like Hitler, or whatever, that they are right. They become arrogant and self-righteous. That they are right and their path is a righteous one. You put that in them. And then you, so it's, it's basically set up to fail. The whole Santa Claus God, judgmental, fire and brimstone God, does not make a bit of sense whatsoever. 
It just doesn't. The only thing that it makes sense with is the fact that we were raised in a conditionally loving environment with conditionally loving parents. And since all children believe that their parents are God, when we switch from our parents to the thinking of God, we think that they're like our parents and are going to punish us. We overlay God, or our parents' love, onto God's love and think it's the same. That's the only thing that makes sense as to why anyone would believe in Santa Claus God, and the fire and brimstone God. Every other way you break it down, it has, it, it can't, it has no way to make any sense. There is no mother on, well, I can't say, I mean, sure, they do exist. Very rarely, though. There, I'm just going to say it, and then you can see where I'm, my retractor statement is at. No, there's no mother that would ever want their child to burn for all eternity. No matter how. I mean, I bet you Hitler's mother was still just like, oh, yeah, he's... You know, he's, he's a little harsh in his, his word choice and his actions, but he's a good kid. You should have seen him as a baby. You know what I mean? Like, most, not all mothers, but most mothers, so you can't stop the unconditional love. And so to think that Source's love is less, is harsher, than what we can experience here with a super unconditionally loving mom. That is ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. It just, again, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, let's move off of that. So, Santa Claus, as a child, is exposed by a broken expectation, by either the time or the exact thing that you want didn't come. So then we graduate, and when children are shown that Santa Claus is fake, we graduate to the false god, the fire and brimstone god, the conditionally loving god, the bigger, the adult Santa Claus. But the adult Santa Claus is not exposed or I'll just say the Santa Claus God for ease. ease. <sighs> the Sistine Chapel, white-bearded dude, right? The Santa Claus God isn't exposed the same way. Here's why. Because you blame yourself. That's why. And because there's no Christmas there's no end of, there's no expir, expira, ex, expectation date like Christmas for, for Santa. There's, they don't have the same thing for God. Here's what I mean. You ask God for a lover because you're lonely. And you keep praying about it, you keep thinking about it, and here it is two, three years later one still hasn't shown up you can think one of two things basically I mean you can think a million different things but basically it's one of two things either it's on its way or I've done something wrong that's that's not that God doesn't want to give me this thing I don't deserve it basically it's on its way or I don't deserve it. It's two basic things you could say. I mean, you could splinter it off into, oh, I'm not worthy and I've got to love myself first before I attract a mate or uh, whatever. But bottom line is it's either I don't deserve or it's on its way. But since there's no Christmas Day where it's supposed to come, like all of your stuff that you've prayed for is supposed to come, it doesn't get exposed. It could just be like, well, I've got to do more. I don't deserve it yet. I've got to do more to get it. Or like I've said on this before, like it's just on its way because we don't, 
know the timing of things. Because there's no date where you wake up and run downstairs, run to the wherever the Christmas tree is, for the Santa Claus God, the false God, it's harder to expose that it's fake. Because remember, the timing is extremely important. The other thing that makes it difficult... Well, there's a couple more things, but another thing that makes it difficult is the fact that everybody believes it. There's no parent or older sibling or child, you know, friend that's like, hey man, do you you really believe, do you really believe that the Santa Claus God thing, the fire and brimstone thing is real? And they're like, yeah, of course I do. Everybody says yes in some way, shape, or form. Everybody says yes in some way, shape, or form. Because even if they're like, no, I don't believe that, they're still secretly in the back of their mind worried because we've all been brainwashed to believe it. Even if they're like atheists. Atheists are cracking me up too because it's like they rebel, but then they go too far the other way. Now you believe that it's just the end of existence when you die? First of all, that goes against science. And what's funny is most science, scientists are atheists. Not most. I, would, I think it's probably roughly 60%. A little over half. But what I mean is nothing ever dies. It only transforms. So you see an animal what we consider dies, it transforms back into the earth. And consciousness never was born to begin with. So you can't say consciousness dies or ends or just blinks out of existence. But that kind of shifts into philosophy more than science. But bottom line is, we are all energy. Everything is energy, and energy doesn't die. It doesn't end. It only transforms. That's the only thing energy can ever do, besides what it's meant to do. So it's so funny that scientists, knowing that you're energy, still believe that when you die, you blink out of existence. That, doesn't, that goes against science. Your energy, energy only transforms. So everybody in some way, shape, or form believes the Santa Claus God thing. Even an atheist who doesn't believe that God is real still is rebelling against the God by going too far the other way. If you didn't believe God was real, that there was an infinite intelligence controlling everything, That's okay. But why also throw the baby out with the bathwater of the fact that there's nothing after death? That doesn't make any sense either. You are energy. Energy never dies. You exist. You will always exist. So the reason atheists don't believe that there's anything after death is because they're rebelling against the brainwashing of the Santa Claus God. If they were open, they would just be like, yeah, I mean, obviously we're energy and energy is never going to stop, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens afterward. I don't, you can't believe that things just blink out of existence. Non-existence, by definition, doesn't exist. There's no such thing as non-existence. Unless you're talking about imagination. And that's even debatable there too. Because if I imagine a pink elephant, the pink elephant doesn't exist except in my imagination. So it's the same exact thing. Non-existence is only imagined. And just like being afraid of a pink elephant, being afraid of being blinked out of existence or not existing anymore is the same thing. You're scared of your imagination, not reality. 
Where was I? So, everybody, there, there's no, like, older brother, or unless you're talking about me, but there's no, like, older brother, older sibling you can go to and be like, hey, I'm not really, I'm not really believing this fire and brimstone Santa Claus God. Is this real? Isn't, everybody's going to say yes. Probably 90% of the people. So that's another problem with it how you can't see through it super easy and the last one so we've got the timing that you can't just like you can see through Santa Claus just like you can see through Santa Claus if you ask the right people in the right context or pick up on their sarcasm or subterfuge you can pick up on the fact that adults don't believe in Santa Claus but you can't do that with the false god because most people believe it And the last thing is the not getting what you want. This is going to be fun. Because I don't know exactly how I'm going to go because I haven't, I just did one similar, I just did a podcast similar to this and talked about this not even a month ago. But let's break it down. Because I feel something new is going to emerge. We know that it's neutral to want something. Wanting something is not bad. Unless it's born from lack. If you want a lover because you feel lonely and you think the lover will fix it, that's a want born from lack. That is dangerous, to say the least. You have to go inside and realign and fix, if you will, or let go or alchemize the lack feeling. Then what you want will come, if it's supposed to. There's a whole other, there's a lot of other things that stop things from coming. But anyway, so wanting is neutral. Unless it's born from lack, then it's problematic. Wanting is neutral unless you attach to it. Then it becomes extremely dangerous. It becomes dangerous in the same exact way that the child, that that is dangerous for the child. Here's why. If you don't get what you want, specifically the way you want it, you feel let down. And now you can't enjoy Christmas Day, the best day of the year for all children. You're not even happy then because you didn't get what you wanted the way you wanted it at the time you wanted it to be there. So these expectations steal your joy of life. I think it was Shakespeare. Expectations are the... No, no. I don't remember. I'm getting two quotes mixed up. There's one by Theodore Roosevelt, one by Shakespeare that are similar to each other. Something like expectation is a thief of joy. But anyway, doesn't matter. So, bottom line is, you are unhappy if you don't get what you want because you're attached to it and you're attached to the time frame that it comes. So if you don't get what you want, you're unhappy because you're living conditionally. And if you do get what you want and it's not perfectly the way you thought it should be, completely 100% aligned with your fantasy imagination version of it, you're also let down. But instead of going to God and being like, is God real? Like we would with Santa Claus. You do the other thing, which is, if when the child doesn't get what they want there's three options they blame the communication breakdown uh, you know he must not have got my letter uh, i might not have written down in the description that i thought it would be like with the, next time i'll get the serial number of the toy i want <laughs> to make sure the communication is there or you blame yourself that you weren't good enough you didn't get straight a's and straight a pluses and 
You didn't do as much charity work as you thought, right? What, yada, yada, yada. The same exact thing happens to the Santa Claus God. Right? You don't When you don't get what you want, exactly what you wanted, this time frame that you wanted it, you then, you don't blame God. Well, maybe. But you don't think God isn't real. You blame first, possibly, depending on, you know, how many times this has happened in your life, which a lot of people's a lot. But you possibly blame the communication. Well, did I not, and this is where the law of attraction comes in a lot with spiritual people. Did I not use the law of attraction as its design? Maybe I messed up somewhere. Maybe it's the technique I used. Maybe I have to have a stronger vision board or vibrate in a different thing. Maybe I should meditate on it and think about it more. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. I must not have been working this thing right. I must not have said the spell and burnt the incense at the right angle. Right? You blame the communication or the technique or the process. But most people, they blame themselves. They see not getting what they want as the lump in their stocking in the way they want in the time frame they wanted it. As the lump in their stocking, a lump of coal in their stocking, they think, I must have done something wrong. There's something wrong with me. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve it. That's why it's not showing up. Ironically, the belief that you don't deserve it is what's keeping it away. But that's a whole other story. So, I don't know why, but let's go back. Let's go, let's, let's talk about money. Let's say you put it out there that you want $10,000. Then you make a vision board about it, and it's small enough to where you can wrap your head around this could show up magically. Right? Because it has to be small enough for your ego to not feel as if it's going to change its control. <sighs> you know, you have to quote-unquote play it safe. Right? So it's got to be a, a big enough number to where it's something you want to manifest outside your normal day-to-day -day life. Like if you got 10000 a week on your paycheck, uh, you know, it wouldn't really matter manifesting an extra 10000 right? So it's got to be... It's got to be small enough... It's got to be big enough to where it's outside the norm and small enough to where you're... You can wrap your head around it. Which again is a whole other subject for another time. But you want to go manifest this $10,000, let's say. And you even set a time limit because of course, whether you want to or not, you're going to put an expectation of time on it. Unless you've really unraveled everything that has to do with time. Or your attachments. So now you've got a time limit on it. Let's say I want to manifest 10 grand in 90 days. Then you've got to put other expectations on it. Uh, that's going to come outside of a bonus. That's not a gift from my parents or relatives or someone died. I want this 10,000 to come a specific way. Except... What if you only have the what if you have the belief ingrained into you that you have to work hard for money? It's going to be extremely difficult to manifest this money. This is where most people get hung up in the law of attraction. I can't manifest money. Yeah, that's because you believe you have to work hard for it. If you believe you have to work hard for money, then you limit all other ways money can come to you. You can only make money through hard work. And even if you made a vision board of this 10,000 and meditated on every day and made affirmations, this 10,000 to show up March 1, boom, April 1st or whatever. Why is this guy honking? Sorry. Obviously he needs attention somehow. Okay. So, um... You know, April 1, you're going to have this, you know, and you're vibrating and you're doing all these things. But you've forgotten that subconsciously for the last however many years, however many decades, you've been taught and been thinking that you have to work hard for money. And things that come to you easily 
that don't come through hard work, don't come through hard work, um, aren't earned, right? And so now you've called forth this money from the universe, but you've also put a subconscious block, a big old wall around yourself that says it's got to come through hard work. So the only way the universe could possibly get through your wall is by presenting you with an opportunity to work hard for the money. So now you say, now the universe is like, okay, I got to get you this money because you're drawing it forth from the universe, but you have this belief system that you have to work hard for money, defending it. So I'm going to present you with an opportunity, a seasonal job that you can work nights outside of your normal job or, or whatever it is you do. And that 90 days of hard work, you'll have, at the end, you'll have 10 grand. Are you happy that that comes? No. Why? You're upset because you're trying to manifest without having to work hard. But you forgot that you have this belief defending yourself. So now you're frustrated. How come I can't manifest money? How come the only way money shows up is if I have to work for it? Duh, because you have a belief that says you only have to work hard for money. Or you have to work hard for money. Sidetrack. Let's get back on track. So you want to manifest. So you ask the universe in whatever way you ask. Just like sending a Christmas letter, like your prayer or whatever. You ask source. You make sure that source receives the ask. And it doesn't come. In the time frame that you want, and April 1st comes or whatever, you know, maybe you start January 1 and April 1st comes around, nothing happens. What do you do? Do you try again? Do you blame the communication system? No, you blame yourself. You did something wrong. And yes, well, I just highlighted <laughs> having the belief system that you have to work hard for money will block it. Most people don't know that. So what do they do? They blame themselves saying, I don't deserve it. I tried. I, either I'm doing something wrong or I'm not worthy. Or I don't deserve it. Or God wants me to do something. God wants me to work hard for it, I guess. Because the only thing that came in this time was this opportunity. And all I did, it, did was add more to my plate. So now, you blame yourself. You think, I'm unlovable. I knew it. God doesn't love me. Because what? You've tied God's love to this thing you're trying to manifest. If God loved me, it would show up. And I must have done something wrong to get on the naughty list. It sees, it sees my, you know, God sees my deepest, darkest thoughts and desires. More it's judging me based on all of my past mistakes. And you go into a downward spiral. I did this. I've done it more than once. You go into a downward spiral and you think about all the things you cannot change. You can't undo your past. You can try to reframe it, change the narrative, sure. Which ultimately will help, but bottom line is you can't change what happened. So now you feel defeated. And you what? You make up an even worse story beyond that I don't deserve. You say to yourself, I'll never deserve it. 
I'll never deserve what I want because of what's happened in the past. Welcome to the small story. Welcome to the trap. Now the ego has you right where you where it wants you. What are the only options left? If you're defeated, it's all because what you wanted didn't come in the amount that you wanted when you wanted. Heaven forbid the exact to the penny amount came when when you wanted it. Cuz then you'd be stuck. thinking you have it all figured out <laughs> and there'd be no growth to happen the worst thing that could happen is you get exactly what you want perfectly when you want it because now yourself your ego will blow up to a balloon and you'll be like oh my god i got this all figured out i've got i've got life I've got life skeleton key. I'm done. Boom, I'm a master manifester. Uh, easy street. <laughs> no growth there. No growth. I've been down that road too. There's not many roads I haven't been down on this <laughs> thought, train of thought. Okay. So you don't get what you want when you wanted it. And you blame yourself. What are the only two options you have left if you're defeated? If you're completely defeated, like, I must, I'm never going to deserve what I want. I'll never get past my past. God just doesn't love me. What are the only two options left? One, the most obvious, is you give up. You accept your fate. You are whatever the ego tells you you are. You are insignificant, unloved. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never get the life you want. You'll always be alone. And on and on and on. You give up. And you stay stuck in the small story of you. In relationships, it's settling. You settle for the person that doesn't excite you, doesn't, is not your true love, doesn't light you up, but you'd rather have something rather than nothing because you think you're unlovable and you think that no better will come. People do this in relationships all the time. They think, well, it's either this person or being alone. As if you're unlovable and no one else will come. (laughs) That's scarcity. That's the scarcity illusion. It's either this or nothing. So you give up. Or the other, only other option is to jump through the ego's hoop so that you do deserve. Oh, you know what? God didn't give me this money. That must mean I need to become more, do more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to organize a nonprofit. I'm going to start working for charity. I'm going to become a social worker. I'm going to be friends with everybody in my building, all of my neighbors. I'm going to become the best person. But you're doing it for moral desert. You're doing it so you get what you want. You're trying to manipulate the universe. And to being like, see, look at me, dad. Look at me, mom. I did all this cool stuff. Why don't you love me? Because you don't love yourself. You're the one that's saying you don't deserve. God is not saying that. God doesn't even judge you. What is the point of judgment if you're unconditionally loving? There's no judgment. You're loved just the same. 
Now you're chasing the ego's carrot on the stick. Oh, once I get this perfect body, once, I, once I'm a millionaire with the perfect body and everyone loves me, then God has no choice to give me what I want. And that's the ego's game, the carrot and the stick. If you don't do what it wants, jump through its hoops, you'll never get that perfect life at the end of the rainbow. And if you don't do what it wants, it'll prod you with, you're not good enough, you're a piece of shit, God doesn't love you. Is there a third option, Larry? Because I can see where I do this in my life. Yes, there is a third option. I'm glad you asked. The third option is want something and then let it go. Want what has been given to you. Be grateful for what you have. And it's okay to want more. That's perfectly fine. But when you want more, let it go. God hears you. There's no incorrect malfunction in the communication system. I've heard that before too. Oh, you have to speak it out loud. What are you talking about? You think God doesn't hear every thought? It is every thought. It is everything. It's all that is. Here's another thing. Your wants, it put there. It put your wants there. You don't think it knows what you want? It knows. So the third option, want whatever it is you want and let it go. State your preference if you feel better and then let it go. And the next question you have to ask, you want, you let go, you're grateful for what everything that you've been given. And then you ask, what is source one of me? What is source one of me? It's the same thing we talk about when we talk about trying to manifest a boatload of money. What does the money want you to become? Money's highest purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. What if your want, for instance, let's say you want a perfect body. And I'm not going to go into the whole selfish, superficial nonsense. But let's say you want a perfect body. And God's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I want you to do these handful of things to help other people get their perfect body too. You have to become the highest version of yourself. You have to evolve in order to match the frequency. This is where the doing part comes in. It's not so much that you make a checklist and go work out every day. It's that you listen to your heart, it's guidance in telling you where to go today, what to do today to get to there. If you want to be a millionaire, you have to match the frequency. There are no wealthy people with a non-deserving story. With an unworthy story. With a woe is me victim mentality. I said wealthy, not rich. There's a difference. So, want what you want and let it go. It's on its way. Let go of the time frame. Just use the want as a, as a North Star, if you will. And obviously your heart is your compass. But know that it's going to happen at some point. And if you realize you're eternal, don't be in a rush. There's no rush. Well, Larry, I'm 50. I want to get this thing. I want to find my true love now. Being in a rush will only keep it away. You have to relax. Let go. Let go of what you want. Source heard you. You can use it as a North Star. 
Okay, I'm going to go head that way. You know? There's no rush. Because not only are you eternal... Hello, little one. Not only are you eternal... And you have literally all the time in the world. But now you know that attaching and being in a rush keeps it away. It keeps your energy fragmented and frantic and urgent. You have to relax into manifestation and creation. You don't look at nature. Nature is not in a hurry to do anything. It's not frantically paced. It might look that way, looking at like an anthill or something. It might look that way to the naked eye, but nature is never in a rush to do anything. Why would it? You have to match the frequency of nature and understand the speed of nature. Putting your want out there is like planting a seed. It needs time to grow. And while it's growing, you don't have anything to do but evolve yourself along with it. Let's wrap it up with the other reason why it's dangerous to be in a hurry. Because being in a hurry creates expectation. Oh, if I do this, this, and this, my want will be here in, the, in 30, 40 days. No. Now you've created another expectation. And if it doesn't come, you start to blame yourself again. You didn't do enough. You're not enough. You're not good enough. Be aware of your expectations. Be aware of the time frame. Aware if I don't get it, if I don't get this 10,000, if I don't get this money I want to manifest, I won't get to this, this, and this. Well, maybe that stuff's not supposed to happen. It is literally freezing weather out. I've bought Boughten? Is that a word? I bought the uh, biggest, puffiest jacket, thickest sweatpants, to be able to do these out in the cold. And there's just people out here playing frisbee golf. Like it's no thing. Might as well be in shorts. It's fascinating how we can get acclimated. Never get acclimated to the small story. Never give up. Never give in and settle. Realize that if you're giving up or have thought about giving up or settling, that what you're actually doing is believing in Santa Claus God. If you believed that the universe was unconditionally loving and supportive, there'd be no reason to give up. You just keep going. Because you know that everything is on its way. And if you don't get the thing you want on Christmas, go buy it your fucking self. It's a joke, sort of. I just love it when people are like, yeah, I didn't get what I really wanted for Christmas. You're an adult. Go buy it. Unless it's, you know, obviously something hit big like a house or a car or something. I hope something I've said has helped you. Be extremely aware of your expectations. Be extremely aware if you have children of their expectations and what expectations you're building inside of them with believing in Santa Claus. And what precedent you're setting for the Santa Claus God. 
hopefully this wasn't too depressing <laughs> of an episode for Christmas, but you know, a lot of times the holidays bring up a lot of this darkness, this feeling of being unloved because you didn't have a family to go hang out with or you didn't get what you wanted or you think about all the past Christmases or holiday seasons that, you know, had tragedy in them or loneliness. You're unconditionally loved at all times, no matter what. It's up to you to vibrate into that truth, to realign to that truth. I hope something I've said has helped do that. Because no matter what you believe or you do, know that you're unconditionally loved and watch as your whole world changes with that truth. We are different golfers on the same course, different leaves in the same pile, different mountains on the same range. My unconditional love to you, I appreciate you listening. Merry Christmas or a merry belated Christmas. Have a happy new year. <sighs> Give someone the gift of your presence this year. Even if it's after Christmas. Could just be a phone call. Reminding someone that they're not alone. It always feels good to give. I love you. Thank you for listening. Good journey, my friends.